Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for sinners such as I? Was it for crimes that I had done he groaned upon the tree? Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. Well might the sun in darkness hide and shut his glories in when Christ the mighty maker died for man the creature's sin. But drops of grief can ne'er repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do. Today, of course, is about remembering our Lord's love for us rebels. Today is about remembering the high price which Jesus paid to redeem us. And today is about pondering Jesus Christ's death. And today is about cross-focusing and then earnestly worshiping. The gospel writer John under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote in the 19th chapter of his gospel. Now, it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. So they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. So they handed him over to them to be crucified. They took Jesus. Therefore, he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. There they crucified him. And with him, two other men, one on either side, and Jesus in between. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It was written, Jesus the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. Therefore, many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts, a part to every soldier and also the tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to decide whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture. They divided my outer garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother 
and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus then saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the scripture, said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. What love. What a death. Again, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, which was our Lord's Supper focus verse, relays to us the cross and the death that Jesus died upon it and puts both into their proper perspective. And as I stated in my introduction, Good Friday is always about remembering our Lord's love for us and remembering the high, high price which he paid to set us free. And pondering our Savior's death on Good Friday every year is about focusing on the cross in worship. But once our Lord had physically died, what happened next? I don't mean what happened to his injured and abused and dead precious body. I mean what happened next to his spirit? and soul, which were released from his body in death. What happened to them? What happened to Jesus' spirit and soul between his physical death on the cross and his bodily resurrection from the dead, resurrection Lord's Day, Sunday coming, we mark it. The last verse of John's account that I shared with you, verse 30, therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. What happened to the Lord Jesus Christ's spirit when he gave it up in physical death, dismissed it? Well, to begin to answer that question, a bit of a background The triune God is three co-equal persons existing in one God. We call this God is Trinity or God is triunity. God is three co-equal persons existing as one God, those co-equal persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Part of what it means to be a human that is made in God's image is that we need to recognize that we too have been created by God to have three parts that are essential, but there's one of each of us. 
Just as there is one God existing in three co-equal persons, there is one of you, and there are three parts of you that make up the one of you. The Trinity, the triunity of God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The three aspects of human beings made in God's image is spirit, soul, and body. You each are spirit, you each are soul, and you each are body. The spirit of a human being is the part of us which can relate to God. It's what makes us different than animals, among other things. The human spirit, your spirit, is a part of you which makes you able to relate to God. The scriptures say before conversion, before regeneration, before salvation, our spirits are dead. They can't do anything. They're unresponsive until they're made alive in conversion and regeneration. Your soul as a human being is the part of you which allows you to relate to other persons. Some people call the soul personality. The soul or the personality is made up of intellect, emotion, and will. All of you have intellect, emotion, and will. You have a thinker, you have a feeler, and a chooser. That's how I like to say One of you, three parts. Spirit, soul, and body. Under soul, intellect, emotion, and will. Our bodies are miraculous things. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. Our bodies are remarkable. Just take any course in anatomy or look into anything medical or dental, and you'll see that our bodies are incredible inventions of God, precious. And the body is the precious gift that God gives to humans made in his image, which allows us all to relate to our environments through our five senses, our seeing, our hearing, our touching, our tasting, and our smelling. Now watch this. In Jesus Christ's humanity, the first Christmas, the hypostatic union, the incarnation, 100% God the Son was fused as a miracle to 100% human being. And Jesus Christ became the God-man. Jesus Christ, divine, also human. In Jesus Christ's humanity, he too had spirit, soul, and body. Jesus Christ's spirit was how he had a relationship with his father, how he prayed often in his public ministry and private ministry growing up. His spirit was what gave Jesus the ability to worship in the synagogue on the Sabbath. But Jesus Christ also had a soul. That's why and how he wept over Jerusalem and the pending rejection of the nation. That's how he loved his disciples. He had a soul. And of course, Jesus Christ had a body. That's how he ate, slept. That's how he spotted the Pharisees' hypocrisies. And so when our Lord and Savior died on the cross, his spirit and his soul separated from his body, which was lifeless. And it was only his precious body which was lovingly placed into Joseph of Arimathea's brand new tomb. The body of Christ that was so precious and loved by those who loved him. When it was put into Joseph of Arimathea's brand new tomb, it was just Jesus' body. Less his soul and his spirit, which he dismissed in physical death. 
And so once again, in John 19, verse 30, it says, therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And so what happened to our Lord and Savior's spirit between Good Friday and Resurrection Lord's Day? What happened to Jesus Christ's spirit between his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead? In resurrection from the dead, his soul and spirit were reunited with his resurrected, glorified body. But in the interim, between the cross and resurrection, Lord's Day, Easter, Sunday morning, what happened? What was going on with Jesus Christ's spirit and his soul? Did his spirit do anything in that time period? Did it go anywhere? Was it conscious? Was it verbal? Thankfully, we can know from our scriptures answers to these questions. It's an answer to a very popular question that is worded something like this. Did Jesus go to hell between his death and resurrection? Maybe you've had that question. Really, that question, did Jesus go to hell between his death and resurrection, is asking for an explanation of 1 Peter 3, verses 18 to 20, which I'll read with you. 1 Peter 3, 18, 19, and 20. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. These are some of the most uh, difficult verses in the Bible to understand and interpret, but we're going to endeavor to do that in the next few minutes. To understand these verses, which I've just read to you from 1 Peter 3, 18 to 20, we need to ask and to answer four questions. We need to ask four questions and find four answers. The first question, I'll, I'll overview all the questions. The first question, which spirit? Is that spirit with a big S or with a small S spirit? Second question, who are the spirits in prison? Third, where is that particular prison? And four, what was the preaching's thrust? So let's answer these four questions. The first question, again, which spirit? This is a reference, is this a reference rather to the Holy Spirit? That would be a capital S spirit, wouldn't it? Or is this a reference to Jesus' human spirit? That would be a small s spirit, wouldn't it? By the way, this human spirit that Jesus acquired in the incarnation came part and parcel with his incarnation, Christmas, the miracle of Christmas, when the Son of God, eternal Son of God, creator of the universe, Lord of life, became truly human and becoming truly human included gaining the possession of a human spirit with a little s. And so 
It was in which spirit that Jesus Christ moved to a prison and preached? It was his human spirit. To expand a little bit about on Jesus Christ's human spirit, it was his true inner life. It was what it meant to be human while being God. And the Lord Jesus Christ's human spirit stands in contrast to, but not in contradiction to, his deity. Let me say that again. Jesus Christ's human spirit stands in contrast to, but not in contradiction with, his deity. He did was not diminished in any way, shape, or form as being God when he acquired a human spirit. This human spirit that our Savior acquired at the incarnation was different than his flesh. It was his flesh that they could kill. It was his flesh that could be executed in crucifixion on the cross. But Jesus' spirit could not be killed. It was the part of him which survived the cross and which could do the will of his Father after his crucifixion and before his resurrection. And so this is very important, that while the Lord Jesus Christ's lifeless body lay in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, his spirit was alive and capable of doing the ministry that his father bid him to do. And so we come back to verses 18 and 19 of 1 Peter 3. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, watch it, but made alive in the spirit, little less, in which he also went, that is, in his human spirit, he went somewhere and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. Again, so our first question of four Which spirit? Our answer is Jesus' human spirit. Second question, who are the spirits now in prison? I start by observing from verse 19 that whoever these spirits were, God decided that they needed preaching. Verse 19, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. What particular ministry did God the Father select for his precious son's spirit to do in the very limited days between Christ's death and resurrection? What was that ministry? The Father discharged and dispatched Jesus' spirit to make proclamation, that is to preach, to spirits who are in prison. Who are these spirits? These spirits are demon spirits. They are fallen angel spirits. Verse 20, referring to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is, eight persons were brought safely through the water. These particular demon spirits imprisoned used to fan into flame terrible evil during the 120 years when the righteous man Noah was preaching and building an ark. And these wicked demons didn't listen to Noah's preaching. 
And so God placed these particular worst of the worst demons into prison, and they've been there ever since Noah. And those spirit demons didn't listen to Noah's preaching when he built the ark, but now they're in a prison, and they'll have to listen to Jesus Christ's spirits preaching between the cross and the empty tomb. These particular demons were the worst of the worst. And because of that, God has currently imprisoned them and he has kept them there since the days of Noah. And one day, God will transfer those wicked demons from the prison they're currently held in to the lake of fire, the everlasting penalty for a coup d'etat of God in heaven. And so now we know that the congregation, which was in the prison, when the Lord Jesus Christ's spirit preached there in between death and his resurrection were demons, worst of the worst demons, the demons that wrecked havoc on earth as Noah built the ark, the demons that stirred up and fanned into flame such serious human sin that God pronounced a global flood judgment and only eight persons survived. But something else remains in our study. It's the third question. Where is that particular prison? Well, let me first of all say that Scripture has different names for this particular prison. Before I tell you more about it, Scriptures call that prison the abyss. It's also called hell or Hades or Tartarus. Acts 2.31, 2 Peter 2.4, and Jude 6. But whatever we call it, whether we call it the abyss or hell or Hades or Tartarus, what it is is a holding place for disembodied, unregenerated spirits, both human and demonic. Let me say that again. Whatever we call this prison, the abyss or hell or Hades or Tartarus, it's a holding place. It's not an ultimate destiny of Punishment. It's a holding place prison for disembodied, unregenerated spirits, be they human or demonic. Please understand that this place we're referring to, that Jesus Christ's human spirit went to to preach between Good Friday and Resurrection Lord's Day, was a temporary place of confinement until, until the permanent place of confinement, which is known in Scripture as the lake of fire. And of course, the lake of fire is the forever and ever place of torment, which all of the Christless persons will have to call their address forever. Oh, to God that no one in the sound of my voice would go there having rejected Christ. And so hell or Hades or Tartarus, same thing, synonyms, was the place where the rich man's spirit was when he looked across the fixed canyon, separating him from Abraham's bosom where the poor man's spirit was in Luke 16. And it's this very place where our Lord Jesus Christ's alive human spirit went between his death and his resurrection. And this very place is where God the Father sent his son's human spirit to preach after Good Friday, until Resurrection Lord's Day, Easter Sunday, 
And this brings us to our fourth and last question. What was the thrust of that preaching? I mean, God the Father deemed it necessary that this reprobate group of demons who'd been in prison in a temporary confinement place since the days of Noah needed preaching. So when the Father dispatched Jesus Christ's human spirit to do that preaching, what was the gist, what was the thrust of Jesus Christ's preaching to those demons? Well, first of all, let me just state the obvious, perhaps, that all preaching, what I'm doing right now, and all preaching is properly announcing something from God. So as I stand before you, I am not announcing anything from me. I'm announcing what God has said first in his Bible. And so whatever Jesus Christ's human spirit preached, he was announcing from God what those demons needed to hear. And I'll tell you what Jesus Christ's human spirit announced or preached to the confined demon spirits. Two things. Number one, that he had won decisive and enduring victory over Satan. That he had won complete, unshakable, decisive, permanent victory over their boss as demons, Satan. And the second proclamation that Jesus Christ made was the implication of his victory being that Satan will never wiggle himself or any of his demons free from the just sentencing and punishment of God. So Jesus' human spirit was dispatched to the temporary place of confinement of the worst of the worst demon spirits who were stirring up enough trouble and sin on earth that required the global flood to wipe out everybody but eight persons. And Jesus Christ's human spirit was dispatched by God the Father to preach, to announce from God that Christ had won the decisive and enduring victory over Satan on the cross, and that the implication of that cross victory over Satan was that Satan would never wiggle himself or any of his fallen demons out of arrest by God and sentencing by God. That's what Jesus preached. You all have heard and seen what I have heard and seen in Nassau, where the Royal Bahamian Police Force buses, escorted by police vehicles with their sirens going, speed to the streets of Nassau, and we all pull over to the side of the road. Usually happens around 8 in the morning and around 5 in the evening. And of course, these police cars with sirens going are escorting the Royal Bahamian Police Force buses to drive as fast as they all possibly can and under no circumstances to stop at a red light because those buses are full of persons who are under arrest and being detained in jail for Appearance before the magistrate. Some of them are very serious crime perpetrators. And so the sirens on the vehicles that escort the school buses or the police buses full of persons under indictment, persons facing the magistrates and the courts, take those prisoners in an escort from the jail 
to the courthouse in the mornings and then from the courthouse to the jail back in the afternoons. That's what's going on. And the reasons that the police are surrounding the bus full of prisoners and not allowing the buses to stop at, for any reason is so that no armed gun accomplices could come onto the buses while the buses were stopped and break prisoners free. And so the school buses, the prison buses, don't stop. Now watch this. When Jesus Christ's human spirit preached to the confined demons in Hades, he was essentially saying, none of you are going to be part of a jailbreak. Your bus from Hades to the lake of fire is not going to be hijacked by anybody. You are sentenced and you will do your time in the lake of fire, all of it. Jesus said, I have defeated your boss, Satan. He cannot hijack my justice. He bruised me on the heel, but I bruised him on his head. And my victory, my victory, Jesus announced, will never be reversed. <laughs> there should be an amen in there somewhere. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who were once disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water." You say, okay, Pastor Rob, I, I knew that already, you may say, or you may say, I never knew that uh, before. That's interesting, Pastor Rob. But here's what I need to do next. I need to ask us as an assembly, what should be done by us with the facts of this Good Friday sermon? What differences should there be for us in our day-to-day -day living since Jesus Christ's human spirit went to Hades and preached to the demons there between his death and his resurrection. I have three things, three differences that I should have in my life and you should have in yours if you're a Christian to do with the passage we're preaching. One has to do with ministry. One has to do with the cross. And the third has to do with hell. Let's start with ministry if you and I as Christians will be serving the Lord after we die and after our spirits and our souls leave our bodies, is it not clear that our ministries matter to the Savior? I mean, if your physical death won't shut down your participation in some kind of a ministry... You do know that scripture says that in both heaven and in hell, deeds, good or bad, will keep on being done in those places forever and ever without an end. I mean, both in heaven and in hell, we find places that are not places of idleness. Both heaven and hell are places of perpetual activity. Both heaven and hell are work zones. 
In Revelation 22, verse 11, is a very thought-provoking verse. This is what it says. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong, and let the one who is filthy still be filthy, and let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness, and let the one who is holy still keep himself holy. What we were on earth will be more of where we go to our eternal destiny. If we are saved and pleasing God and serving God on earth, we'll keep pleasing God and serving God forever in heaven. But if we reject Christ, we go at ourselves, we basically high-handedly sin on earth and go to our graves without Jesus as Lord and Savior, we'll keep on sinning in rebellion against Christ forever and ever in hell. That's what the verse is teaching. In hell or in heaven... A person either does wrong or right, either rebels or yields, either hates or loves righteousness. Just like the person in one of those two places did when they were alive on earth. And as our Lord Jesus ministered after his death and before his resurrection, we too will minister after our deaths while our bodies await resurrection at the rapture event. And so, my brothers and my sisters in Christ, your ministering matters so much that it will not end when your life ends on earth. So therefore, serve God well now. You will be serving God forever as a Christian, and your ministry greatly matters to God. And between today and Sunday, I invite you, I challenge you to make some time to think about your ministry. What are you doing in the service of Jesus right now? Are you doing it to the best of your ability? Have you retired from all ministry because you're old? Are you criticizing others that are doing ministry? Are you not open to having a ministry? Are you discontent in the ministry that God's given you? Between today and Sunday, would you please make some time to think about your ministry because your ministry matters to your Savior. The second thing, a second difference that I believe this paragraph in 1 Peter should bring to us in our lives is the cross. If the victory of Christ on the cross was the only sermon preached in Hades, shouldn't the cross be at the top of our to-do list? Shouldn't the cross be our life's bottom line? Shouldn't the cross be the point of our lives? Shouldn't the cross be the story and the thrust of our lives? Shouldn't the cross be what someone gets when they poke us at any day of our sojourn here on earth, and they get the cross. (laughs) They get the gospel. They get, D.L. Moody used to say, before my conversion, I worked toward the cross, and since my conversion, I worked from the cross. I mean, if the cross was what the Father dispatched Jesus' human spirit to the holding prison, the temporary holding prison to preach, shouldn't we preach and live the cross? Because it's the response to the cross 
or the lack of response to the cross that is as heavy and weighty as heaven and hell for people. No other story is even close in its importance to a person's time on earth and a person's eternity after earth than the cross. It's impossible for us to overemphasize the cross. There was a little boy who lived in a little town, a young boy, and he was lost. He didn't know where he was. And a policeman came along and asked him his name. And he gave the policeman his first name, but he was so nervous he didn't remember his last name. I'm just Billy. Where do you live, Billy? I don't know. Who are your parents? I don't know. Policeman said, what could I do? How, how can I get you home, Billy? He says, see, see that church over there? With the steeple? And the cross on top? Take me to the cross. I can find my way home from the cross. We must take people to the cross. We must take people to the cross. That is the only way any person will get safely home. Take people to the cross. Between today and Sunday morning, would you make some time to think about what place of importance and priority does the cross have in how I spend money? in how I spend my time? What place does the cross have in my relationships at work? What place does the cross have in my family life with my brothers and sisters and their mates and my nieces and my nephews? What place will the cross have in my Easter gatherings this weekend with my family? Please, between today and Sunday, will you give some prayerful thought to the place of the cross in your to-do list. The third difference I believe that our passage before us today should make is to do with hell. I mean, if there are, if there's a prison for demons, a temporary prison for demons, then there will be a much worse prison for lost human souls, spirits, and resurrected bodies. And this much worse prison for Christ-rejecting persons, spirit, soul, and body is the lake of fire. I mean, if God was so angry and so just to send certain worst of the worst demons to a place of temporary confinement where they still find themselves since the days of Noah, will God not have a more serious and more permanent prison for persons who mock his son, reject his gospel, and not accept his grace and mercy. People today would want you to believe that hell doesn't exist. There's a highway for everybody to heaven, but Jesus said there's a broad way that leads to destruction of hell and a narrow way that leads to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me, 
those who don't go through Jesus don't go to heaven. It's a real place. It's, hell's a real place. It's a place. It's a locality. It's not a concept of literary design. It's not an idea. It's not a state of mind. People don't live in hell now because they have hard lives. No, hell is tailor-made punishment for each person who rejects Christ. It's torture. And it's great loss. People who say that they'll party with all their friends in hell don't realize that hell is solitary confinement. Hell is the answer to the uh, rebel's prayer, God, leave me alone. That prayer will be answered if they don't take Christ as Savior. There is no second chance after death to avoid hell. Between today and Resurrection Lord's Day, would you please make some time to think about hell? To think about how hollow it is the next funeral you go to for a person who openly rejected Jesus Christ all his life and everybody at the funeral says, may his soul rest in peace. Ministry, cross, and hell. For Christ also died for the sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient even when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. You've given such good attention to God's word. God is pleased. Would you stand with me? The Apostles' Creed is a statement of faith that was written by early Christians around A.D. 400. I just want to say before we say this in unison together that there are some brackets of additional clarification near the end of the creed that we're going to say as well. Concerning the Holy Catholic Church, Catholic means universal. It doesn't mean Roman. And so when we say we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, we're going to say that is universal, not Roman Catholic Church. We do not believe in the Roman Catholic Church. We believe in the Catholic universal church. And the bracket clarifies next. That is true, the true Christian church of all times and of all places. And so I invite you to follow the words as they are projected, and let's say the Apostles' Creed this Good Friday uh, together in unison. Shall we begin? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, 
who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, that is universal, not Roman Catholic Church, that is the true Christian Church of all times and all places. The communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen.